We're looking at Luke chapter 11, uh, just the first four verses as Jesus teaches his disciples and us how to pray. And I'm reading from the New International UK version. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Amen. All right, let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us to pray. Father, we're coming to the Lord's Prayer tonight, and uh, we just want to echo what the uh, first disciples said. Lord, teach us to pray. And we pray that you would do that tonight for your name's sake. Amen. So the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I, I guess many of us will be familiar with it. Uh, some of us, I guess, perhaps especially if we're older, may know it off by heart. If we're a bit younger, we could be a bit confused because there seem to be about half a dozen new versions of the Lord's Prayer around. Um, but most of us will be familiar with it in some kind of shape or form. And then when we look at it in Luke's Gospel here, uh, it's just four verses, and it's a bit of a cut-down version, isn't it, that uh, Jesus has taught and that Luke has recorded for us here. Uh, if we looked at a Matthew's Gospel, it's a little bit longer. And um, uh, we are going to focus on what we find here in Luke's Gospel. So that means we're going to be disciplined about it. We're going to look at it as it is written here, and it is a treasure. It is an absolute treasure, of course, isn't it? The Lord's Prayer. Uh, a mine of spiritual treasure. One of the guys I read uh, a couple of weeks ago about it said, as Jesus the Lord, Jesus the Lord of prayer, teaches his friends to pray. Jesus, the world's leading expert in prayer of all time, teaches us to pray. And uh, that's what we find as we come to the Lord's Prayer. It is teaching on prayer, and we trust and believe that tonight Jesus will teach us to pray. And uh, actually, Lord, teach us to pray will be a good prayer, whether we're watching this sometime later on this week or next month or next year or whatever it will be on, uh, on the YouTube channel, or whether we're listening to it live at home now or in the building that would be a good prayer for us to pray quietly now as we listen. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach me to pray. And uh, I've got six things to say, so we need to dive in. And the first one is uh, pray to your father. Pray to your father. Now, uh, just in verse 2 there, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Now, if you've seen our Instagram feed, you'll have uh, heard me talk about uh, Nicholas Copernicus, 1530. Uh, Nicholas Copernicus of Frauenberg Cathedral published his discovery that instead of every celestial body orbiting the earth, we actually orbit the sun. And that, of course, gave rise to the Copernican Revolution, 
where uh, all previous assumptions were torn up and it was just a, a colossal change of perspective. So we were no longer the center of the universe. And Jesus achieved the same, if you like, Copernican revolution with just one word. When he called God Father. That was just revolutionary. That was explosive. Uh, God is referred to as Father 14 times in the Old Testament, yes. But they're all rather impersonal because the Jews kept their distance from God. God was to be feared. God was not to be messed with in any way. And you wouldn't want to get up close and personal with God. But in all of Jesus' prayers, apart from one, on the cross... Where he cried out, my God, my God. That's how he addressed him. Why have you forsaken me? In all of Jesus' other prayers that we have recorded, Jesus addressed God as Father. But actually the word he used was closer to our word, Daddy. Actually, it's Daddy with a bit of reverence thrown in. Now, there are only uh, four people in this world call me Dad. And unless they're joking, and I do sometimes, they don't call me Phil or Mr. Moon or the Reverend Moon or whatever. No, they call me Dad. Uh, I've received cards today, of course, Father's Day, and uh, they're Dad. They are addressed to Dad. And when we pray to God, you know, we can use the very same words that Jesus used. And we can call him Abba or Daddy or Dad with a bit of reverence, a clear element of respect in there as well. And uh, it's this transformed relationship with God. If you're a Christian, God Almighty is your dad. Just let that sink in. That is very, very special. That is extraordinary. That is something to pause and to rejoice in and to thank him for. That we have this relationship with God Almighty who we can just simply refer to address as dad, as father. And that is the basis on which we pray. You become a Christian and you start a whole new relationship with God Almighty. You can speak to him direct. There's no need for an intermediary. There's no, no need for a, a priest or someone to do your, uh, uh, your work for you. No, you can talk to him with respect, with reverence, but call him Dad. As you come to pray, that is simply wonderful. Pray to your father. Second thing to say is this. uh, Pray that his name would be honored. It is uh, there in verse 2 again. Father, hallowed be your name. John Stott said that true Christian prayer is always a preoccupation with God and his glory. Now, names mean things, don't they? We all know that. Uh, They usually mean good things, unless you're called Cameron. (laughs) Anyone called Cameron? If you're watching, sorry if you're called Cameron. It means apparently crooked nose. At least that's what I was told. Um, And your name is kind of entwined, isn't it, with your character, with your reputation. 
So if someone says to you, full moon, then uh, you would automatically, uh, you'll be thinking about what I'm like. At my character, you'd be thinking about the good things and the rubbish things. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, this is caring for God's reputation. To hallow is to set apart. To hallow is to uh, treat with reverence. That will include honouring. And uh, John Kelvin, the uh, guy from the Reformation, said, uh, this calls for the greatest veneration. If we're going to hallow God's name, it calls for the greatest veneration. Lord, Daddy, may you be given unique reverence that your character and your nature deserve and demand. And we do that through our speech. We do that through our behavior. Every day behavior and we do it in our evangelism so when we pray lord hallowed be your name we're talking and we're praying that actually our speech and our behavior and our evangelism would point people and help more and more people to honor the name of god means that uh, uh, for instance we're praying that we would never misuse god's name ourselves And that others wouldn't be misusing God's name. It's praying about the third commandment, isn't it? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Ever. Especially when you're out with your friends. Especially when perhaps you're on your own at home and you reckon no one can hear you. Uh, Lord, please help me to honor your name in how I use it. On my own. In my mind. With my lips, with my friends. And please help me to hallow your name, to honor you through the quality of my life. Because you see, if I'm living a rubbish life, if I'm leading a, a contradictory life, if I'm going out with my friends and they know I'm a Christian, but actually my behavior contradicts that, then I'm not honoring God's name, am I? Lord, hallowed, honoured be your name in the way I live with my family and my friends. And this also involves our evangelism, doesn't it? Because obviously, the more folks who honour the Lord's name, the more folks who want to live Christian lives, then the more his name will be honoured. So we're actually here also praying about our evangelism. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, you're praying for your evangelism. For your behavior, for your speech, for your life with those who don't yet know the Lord and so on. So we could be talking about whole sermons here on any one of these little phrases that we see here in uh, Luke chapter 11. Father, hallowed be your name. May that be the case in my life, in my speech and through my friends because of my evangelism. That's the kind of thing we're praying for. Hallowed be your name. This Lord's Prayer is one, of course, which we pray together very often in the church building. It's a good prayer for us to pray literally, carefully, slowly. Why not pray it tonight before you go to bed? 
and maybe remembering one or two of the things, or maybe more, that we've uh, talked about this evening. So uh, pray his name would be honored. Third, pray his kingdom would come. Pray his kingdom would come. The end of verse two, your kingdom come. God is the king. He has a kingdom. In other words, the place where he rules. And where he rules in a person's life, then that is part of the kingdom of God. And where more people become Christians, then the kingdom of God grows. And where God's rule becomes greater in your life, and as you are more obedient to him, then the kingdom of God grows. A guy called Paul Harrison said this, wherever God rules over the human heart as king, there is the kingdom of God established. And one day, one day, the kingdom of God will be fully established in the new creation, the new heaven and earth. When King Jesus returns to reign forever over the whole universe. So you see, when we pray your kingdom come, you're praying for three things. You're praying, Lord, please, could I become more obedient, more Christ-like, more holy, more sanctified, more like Jesus in my life? And you're praying maybe for particular things. Maybe, Lord, please, would you put your finger on something you're, you know, well, actually, you know what it is. You know what it is, don't you? That the Lord will be putting his finger on. You know what it is. We're also praying for more people to become Christians. So again, we're praying about our evangelism. We're praying about our family, our friends, our neighbors, the person who's just moved in next door, the person in front of you at the queue at Waitrose or Aldi or wherever you happen to do your shopping. And the third thing we're praying for is the end of the world. For Jesus to return. Your kingdom come. His kingdom will come in, in its entirety, in its perfection, in all its glory when Jesus returns. And so to pray your kingdom come is also praying that Jesus would return and end the world. And it is very active, isn't it? John Ruskin said, if you do not wish for his kingdom, don't pray for it. But if you do, you must do more than pray for it. You must work for it. So to pray your kingdom come is to pursue it. We can't pray, Lord, your kingdom come and not be prepared for God to be changing our lives, to be making us more Christ-like by his spirit working in our lives. We can't pray this unless we're prepared for God, for God to challenge our sinful behaviors. And we can't pray this and not be prepared to, for instance, Invite our friends along to the next Alpha or Christianity Explored to ask someone to come to church with you next Sunday to, you know, someone new starts at, uh, in your office and you say to them, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. It's great, by the way. Would you like to come? Or whatever it would be. You know, we need to be prepared to do these things. You can't pray this prayer and not be willing to lay down those persistent yet attractive sins putting ourselves as number one of perhaps our unwillingness to help others in the way that we know we really would want to do if we're having a good day 
That's why the Lord's Prayer is very active. And you see, we are so often the first answers to our own prayers, aren't we? And if we're going to be honest as we pray the Lord's Prayer, well, it's good to assess ourselves and ask the Lord in the first instance, please, Lord, help me to be the answer to my own prayer, first of all. Lord, please make me willing to be the answer to my own prayer, this prayer which you give us to pray. Your kingdom come. By the way, what's the last prayer of the Bible? It's Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20, which is actually your kingdom come. It's phrased slightly differently. It says, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. But it's praying for the end of the world. Your kingdom come. So, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And in number four, pray each day for daily necessities. In verse three, give us each day our daily bread. Daily bread. I want to say a word about bread and then a word about daily. Bread. It's the ordinary word for bread, okay? It's not the posh stuff you can get from some artisan bakery and all that specialist stuff uh, you get in Waitrose in the back left-hand corner there kind of thing. Uh, no, this is, uh, and it's not cake. It's bread. Just bread. Ordinary, bog-standard, white, sliced bread. Well, in those days, it probably wasn't sliced, was it? It's just bread. Okay, a daily necessity. And he's teaching us to pray for, to ask for, to be appreciative of, to thank him for our daily necessities, to depend on him for our daily necessities. Now, we may have a different view today of what our daily necessities are. Sometimes good to assess what are actually necessities and what are luxuries and so on, isn't it? But it's uh, um, that's not exactly the subject to this passage. But Jesus said, Give us today our daily bread, the basics. Pray for them, recognize them, be thankful for them. Have a think about what they are for you. Water coming out of the tap, hot water coming out of the tap. Bread. Bran flakes in the morning. Milk, whatever they would be. But just basic daily necessities. And this is expressing our dependence on God. Okay, which is very easy for us to think, yeah, they just come from Waitrose or Liddles or whatever it is. Yeah, but actually we do depend on God. He just, he just uses the supermarkets and whatnot. But it does depend on God for the stuff to grow, for the supply chains to work and all the rest of it. And then the next thing to say is it's not just bread, but it's daily. Now, this is slightly more complicated because daily in ancient Greek only comes here and in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. And it doesn't come any anywhere else ever. That means it's actually not very straightforward to understand it Um, because it can mean today's bread. But it also can mean give us today tomorrow's bread. And then what do you mean by tomorrow? Do you mean Monday morning's bread, or do you mean tomorrow, as in the great spiritual tomorrow, as in after the end of the world tomorrow? And many people think that this is uh, uh, this is this is referring or getting people to think about the manner 
in the wilderness, in Exodus. You know, that daily collection of the uh, miraculous supply of food. On the Friday, you could also collect Saturday's manna. Means what is it, doesn't it? Bread. Special bread. But you can't collect Wednesdays on Tuesday because it will go off. So it's a daily provision apart from uh, when it's coming up to the Sabbath. And, uh, uh, and it is daily dependence on the Lord for food, for the necessities of life. But some say as well um, that Jesus only used one symbol for the new creation, for heaven. And it was a feast, a banquet, eating. That's where the true bread of heaven is going to be served. So again, a future focus. So some are saying this is, this can also be, it may be, it may well be talking about daily bread as in bread, as in each day, as in necessities and dependence on God. But some would say also this is talking about spiritual bread. It could be both. And the spiritual bread, which is not just, please give me my spiritual sustenance tomorrow. So praying for the church. Please help me to read your word tomorrow. Please help me to support and help other people spiritually. But it's also looking ahead. Some would say also looking ahead to the glories of the new heaven and the new earth. The glories of heaven where there will be the full feasting on the, uh, uh, on the bread of heaven for all time and for all eternity. So uh, uh, we pray for daily necessities. We thank God for daily necessities. Uh, we do pray for bread, but we also want to pray for our spiritual bread and look ahead to the time beyond this life when we rejoice that God will provide for us there for all eternity. There's a lot more we could say about that. But there are two more things we need to point out. The next one is this. Pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now this has potential to be really hard. This uh, confession of sins to God. This commitment to forgive others. It's a kind of double-edged sword, isn't it? Do you confess your sins to God? We seek to do that regularly in our services. It would be a great thing to do regularly, day by day. And this asking for forgiveness and forgiving others, it is present tense. Which means it's continuous, which means we do it every day and more. So we don't just do it once and we're done with it. No, we keep on going. It means keeping short accounts, like clearing off your emails or your messages by the end of the day kind of thing. Um, But it's also a warning. This is a very serious warning to those who claim to be believers but will not forgive and have no desire to forgive. I mean, some even take pride in unforgiveness. And let me say, if that is you, I'm afraid the Lord puts a question mark against the reality of your Christian faith. Spurgeon even took it further. He said this, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's prayer. 
Some people just don't want to forgive, do they? Robert Louis Stevenson told the story of uh, two unmarried sisters who lived in a single room. And then they had a falling out over some point of theology. They were Christians. But their disagreement was so bitter, they never spoke again to one another. I wonder if they really were Christians in his story or just churchgoers. There were no words, just silence. But they stayed sharing the same single room. They drew a chalk line across the floor to separate the room into the two domains. They divided the doorway and the fireplace so that each could do their cooking and go in or out without stepping into the other's territory. And each night they went to bed and they fell asleep listening to the breathing of her enemy. Isn't that tragic? Compare that with a man called James, a Christian worker in Nigeria for many years. And then one night, he and his wife were attacked in their compound by a gang of thieves. And during the attack, James was shot in the face. Well, he was airlifted home to the UK and he nearly died. And after multiple operations, he's left with one eye, a mangled face, a permanent limp. And yet he still returns to Nigeria repeatedly to continue serving the Lord Jesus. And when he was asked, how do you cope with such suffering and such injustice? What about those who attacked you? And he said that God enables him to entrust his attackers to the mercy and to the judgment of God. And to remember that he had himself been forgiven far more by God than he was required to forgive of his attackers. Isn't that extraordinary? We forgive as we ask for forgiveness. Now, please, we need to be clear, very clear, that for some of us, the wrongs that have been dealt to us have been life-changing and appalling even to hear about. For some, the abuse, the hurt, is monumental. So we must never be glib, and we must never underestimate how hard it can be to be able to forgive. It is a long, long road. And we know what Jesus says here about Christian people to pray for forgiveness and to pray that we would be able to forgive. But sometimes that second prayer, to be able to forgive, takes years and years and years. And a lot of loving help. But with the Lord being our helper, Christian people can genuinely say it's a long, long road, but I'm getting there. With the Lord's help and with the help of his people. But never underestimate how hard it is, please. So pray for forgiveness. And then the, finally, pray for the way which is not temptation or trial. Um, 
I, I couldn't work out a better way of saying that, but let me try and explain. Um, he says here, and lead us not into temptation. Now, this is not saying that God is the kind of like the prime mover behind all temptation. Um, and he's not uh, saying, pray this and all temptation is miraculously going to cease. The original word for temptation can also mean trial or testing. And it's a broad word, which can mean uh, testing so that you can grow as a Christian. And um, temptation or negative kind of like enticement. It most likely means both, which is why some versions of the Lord Prayer have some one translation about testing and others talk about the time of trial and some have uh, uh, talk about temptation. It's most likely all of them. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus, I think he's telling us to pray that testing and temptation would actually in the end be positive experiences. Not the kind of uh, uh, temptation and trials which destroy us. There's an Arab proverb which says, all sunshine makes a desert. All sunshine makes a desert. And trials and temptations can be good things for Christians. I think it's really interesting that 30, 40, 50 years ago, the, uh, the, the heroes, if you like, of the, of the, uh, of the Christian life were people like Corrie Ten Boom, who was touring and speaking about her experiences as a Christian in a concentration camp where she lost her sister amongst so many others as well, of course. Or Richard Wurmbrandt, who spent 14 years in solitary confinement. Or Alexander Solzhenitsyn in a Russian labor camp. Or Dietrich Bonhoeffer being executed in the Second World War. Or David Watson, vicar in York, who was such a, a leader, a Christian leader, and who died of cancer at 51. They were our heroes. All molded actually through positive experiences of trials and temptations. These days, our, our heroes tend to come from a different kind of camp, don't they? Uh, they tend to be more those who have perhaps experienced or been involved in the miraculous in some kind of way. It's interesting, though, how things change, isn't it? And Jesus says, trials and temptations will come our way. Corrie Ten Boom said, uh, um, reflecting on her experience at Ravensbrück concentration camp, the, the bumps are what you climb on, aren't they? The bumps are what you climb on. And Thomas Watson, a Puritan pastor, said, temptation is that by which a man, and we would say all woman as well, uh, is made an athlete of God. An athlete of God. So as you pray, pray that your temptations and trials would make you an athlete of God. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen.